Welcome back to In the Queue, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm Andrew, your co-host, and uh, it always makes me a little bit sad when uh, I've seen a film and my repeat viewing of it is not as much fun because I know the big reveal or the big secret. Yeah, that's always a bummer. There's some, like there's some movies where I'm excited every time just as if it was a new thing, but when I rewatched this film, I'd seen it once before, I saw it again. Uh, for this podcast, I I was actually let down by how much I remembered about the end of the film and how little I remembered about the rest of the film. <laughs> well, the mark of a great screenplay is when you rewatch it, you rewatch the film after you've discovered the twist ending, and then you see all these different clues that lead up to it, and you get a richer understanding of the whole thing. I'm not saying yeah. this film did that, but if it had, you probably would have been more satisfied. Satisfied. Uh, sure. Th- sure. Uh, this is Phil, your other co-host, and I feel like the most interesting thing about this film for me, for the most part, was the way it portrayed New Yorkers, and Ooh, and how yeah. this is one of the most quintessentially New York films that I've seen in quite a while. Well, and I don't think that that is any kind of surprise coming from Spike Lee, mm-hmm. the director. Uh, the film that we're talking about is uh, Inside Man. A uh, film from 2006 that was a, I think it was Spike Lee's most commercially successful film that he had made to date at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and maybe even to this day. Uh, but it, it was a very successful heist film, essentially. And uh, it was a listener request. The listener is Chris, who's back on the show. He's been on many times. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Hello, guys. Little gentlemen. Hey, yeah. all right, that's us. That's us. We are gentlemen, if there ever were gentlemen. <laughs> indeed. I am <laughs> doffing my hat at the moment. Doffing your hat, indeed. Uh, so before we get to talking about this uh, very interesting and, and fun film, um, I would like to tell you how to find us on the web. You can find us at our website, which is www.inthecue. That is in-the-q, the letter Q, dot com. And uh, you can find all of our episodes posted there, as well as a comment section where you can leave us comments about the podcast itself, or you can leave your recommendations. And uh, we'll have you on the show, much like Chris is today, to talk about the movie that you recommend. Uh, Probably an even better place to do that is our Facebook page, which you can find by going to Facebook and searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And you can engage us there. Um, It's a little bit easier to have a conversation through Facebook than it is through our uh, standard website. So uh, we encourage most people to do that if they can. You can also like our page there and have uh, all of our postings fill your newsfeed. Uh, twice a week we, we post episodes and then we also post supplemental materials on our Facebook page. Uh, so it's a good, it's a good spot. You can also engage us on Twitter by searching for at ITQ podcast. That's our Twitter handle. And, uh, we can engage in conversation via Twitter. And, uh, lastly, you can find us on iTunes by searching for in the Q Q U E U E film conversations with Andrew and Phil, and you can subscribe to the podcast and have every episode delivered straight to you as soon as they're released. Yep. I think that covers it. It's comprehensive. <laughs> comprehensive. Uh, speaking of comprehensive, there's a plan in this film that seems to think of everything. Uh, and it's a, it's a, I think it's a, pretty, it's a pretty solid heist flick. And I think it's probably going to go down uh, as one of uh, 
the best sort of Hollywood heist flicks of recent years. Uh, before I tell you exactly what it's about, Chris, can you tell us why you recommended this film, why you wanted to talk about it? Yeah, I think it's a, a film that you mentioned. It's a heist flick. It's a mystery movie. Uh, those are the type of movies that I readily enjoy. And as you mm-hmm. mentioned before, it's got a, a little bit of a twist at the end. The, the reveal is uh, it's a pretty good one. It's a pretty surprising one that I haven't yeah. really yeah. seen in any movies uh, recently. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's got a great cast. Uh, a lot of all stars batting in this uh, in this game, and um, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you uh, like you said, Phil, it is very quintessentially New York. Um, mm-hmm. The setting, the 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 diverse cast and crew, um, just the uh, the landscaping of the exterior scenes. It's just uh, if you've never been to New York, especially apparently on like a hot summer morning, uh, <laughs> I would assume that's what it looks like when people are getting ready and going to work and and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, sure. The, the plot, I thought, was uh, was solid, um, especially if you have not seen the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It's fun. It's a good watch. It, and it goes by quickly. It's a, it's a fun, fun watch. Yeah, surprisingly quickly for a film that's two hours and 12 mm-hmm. minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it actually is a very it, – it travels along at a very brisk pace. Um, as I said, the, the film is directed by Spike Lee. It stars – Denzel Washington and Clive Owen uh, in the major lead roles with Jodie Foster and Christopher Plummer and Willem Dafoe and Chiwetel Ejiofor kind of bringing up uh, the supporting roles. And um, what it's about, without trying to give it away, as we said this... You want to make this a spoiler-free podcast? I think we can try to do our best, and maybe if we find ourselves painted into a corner, we'll (laughs) we'll give a spoiler alert, but... uh, but the the plot is about uh, a robber or a wood uh, an apparent robber who uh, has a whole crew. They break into a bank, uh, into the Manhattan Bank, um, and curiously enough, uh, make a big sort of scene about breaking into this bank and and taking hostages. They take forty hostages. Uh, and uh, Denzel Washington plays a uh, a detective, a hostage uh, negotiating detective who is who comes on the scene in order to uh, engage the bank robber and try to figure out what his demands are, what he wants, uh, try to negotiate the release of the hostages as any good hostage negotiator will do. And uh, it quickly becomes apparent to him that the people behind or the person or people behind this bank robbery, have something greater in mind uh, than just stealing money from the bank. Um, And that thing that they have in mind remains a mystery throughout the film until sort of the very end when we we kind of discover what the movie's about. Um, But that's pretty much it. The film centers on the interaction between these two characters primarily, but also these sort of ancillary characters on on the fringes. And... Uh, and I won't say much more than think, that until yeah, we start to talk. I think that suffices. I mean, the the perspective of the movie is like sort of like God's perspective. We 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 travel yeah. we travel from being both inside the bank where there's a lockdown situation, and both into where the the cops are planning their their course of action, um, and then even in the homes of loved ones of the police force. So it's mm-hmm. like a, it's like I guess you'd call it an omniscient camera. 
Sure. Um, and it's it is really brisk and breezy, and I think Spike Lee keeps things going at a good clip, and um, interspersed throughout the you know scenes of the hostages in the bank and the and the criminals and the and the cops, interspersed with all this kind of linear narrative of you know the of the standoff are these clips that are clearly digitally altered to look like they're happening mm. in a different world in a way and what you'll soon realize watching this movie is that these other clips which take place in an interrogation room are happening in the future right and you've got uh, Denzel Washington's character Frazier and his partner Mitchell played by Chiwetel Ejiofor and they're interrogating these people who you will recognize from being hostages in the bank yes so you're you're you know You'll sort of put these things together as you're watching the film, but it is these segments with these various hostages being interviewed about the the actual uh, crime that cause me to observe what seems to be a veritable cross-section of all the different types of people (laughs) that you'll find in New York City. Sure. Uh, And and the very sort of typical New York exchanges that people have with one another. Um and I, it, I really feel like, you know, uh, Spike Lee didn't write this movie, so he's not exactly an auteur in this case, but he is a writer-director. And I feel like mm-hmm. he, as the director, is imbuing his own sensibility in this heist thriller, which, you know, on its surface, is not really about what it's like to live in New York City, but he's, he's kind of bringing his own take to the story, which makes it even better. Sure, sure. And this was in a time in his career when he was uh, doing a number of adaptations. Um, He had just a few years prior done what is probably, aside from Do the Right Thing, my favorite Spike Lee film, which is The 25th Hour, which was an adaptation of a book as well. And also a very New York film about New York people Mm -hmm. living their New York lives. and I, and I do think that that's, it, it's interesting that they use this sort of uh, conceit of the interviews to kind of explore the, the personalities of the city right. as, much as, as much as like these individual personalities. Um, the people don't – they almost don't seem to be people. They almost seem to be placeholders for large ethnic groups yeah, or, really <laughs> or, or you know, types of New Yorkers that you might run into, people people who have a particular attitude or particular way of dealing with um, the world. Um, and it's interesting because you see it through the eyes of these two detectives who suspect everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so these abrasive New York sort of attitudes that most people have are uh, are met with an equally abrasive <laughs> uh, interrogation, you know? Yeah. Um, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. Uh, I I think it's, I think one of the fascinating things for me about this movie is that it does seem to be more concerned with character than it does with the mechanics of the heist, right? This isn't like watching Rafifi or Heat or, you know, any of the great, great, great heist films uh, where what it's really concerned with is the mechanics. Now you do get the mechanics and, and as the, the, the film kind of unfolds, you have to sort of respect the the design of the plot itself. Um, you know, the, the plot, not of the film, but the, the plot, meaning the 
the heist, the, the plan for mm-hmm. the heist. Yeah. Um, and it, it, the way that it unfolds is really interesting, but it almost seems like a secondary concern of Spike Lee's, uh, to the, the personalities of the people, uh, in his film. Yeah. And I think that you know, his early films like do the right thing, uh, where the, the subject of the film is the different personalities of this Brooklyn neighborhood and, and mm-hmm. New York as a whole. Uh, whereas that was a kind of a loose freewheeling film, which had a lot of sharply drawn characters. Uh, the subject of do the right thing has become the subtext of inside man where yeah, you've got, yeah. you, you now have a tightly wound screenplay, um, by Russell Gewirtz, uh, <laughs> what was that? I, I, I put like a weird kind of Germanic pronunciation on it. Ru- Russell Gewirtz, G E W I R T Z. Anyway, yep, so this yep. is a this is a really tight script. Uh, this is one of those scripts that you know um, could could attach itself to any notable director and get made and be a good film. Um, but but you know Spike Lee was attached to it in this case, and uh, you know he he managed to to put his own spin on it. And I actually have to surmise that a lot of those interrogation scenes that just kind of pop up throughout the film, I wouldn't be surprised if Spike Lee, you know, came up with those or, or kind of really kind of engineered the the dynamic between the people who are talking and then the cops because it is very conversational and. And it doesn't really, oftentimes it doesn't advance the plot. Like there's this one episode where this elderly woman is kind of talking about how, how horrible it was to be in there. And then, and then he's like, okay, you know, you can go. And she's like, I can't go. He's like, no, you can't go. You got to sit down and we got to, we got to finish this interrogation. It's like, oh, okay. Like they're just kind of like, it's just like New York bonding or what I can only imagine is, you know, movie New York bonding. <laughs> that's, that's how we do it. Up yeah. There. Right. Well, and, Andrew can speak from experience cause he's actually there right now. And um, he's been in jail several times. Yeah. So. He's in jail. <laughs> he's robbed banks before. What? But, um, hey, man. but I, yeah, I feel like that's, that's the way to do it. If you're, if you're a working man's director, um, and you didn't write the thing, uh, you know, infuse it with your own stamp your own art and i think that this movie it's more than just about a heist story there's more going on it's kind of a you know comedic surfacey portrayal of being in new york um but it's still there's still something going on here in this movie beyond just the main plot there's the subtext is what i'm saying sure sure chris so you recommended the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Did I? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, as as a film that you enjoy and, and something that you you enjoyed watching again, um, what what is it that really gets you going about this film? What's the thing that you like the most? Is it the mechanics of it? Is it the unfolding of the plot? Is it the performances? Is it the characters that we're we're talking about? Well, I do like the uh, the character of Denzel Washington and how he. Uh, it uh, evolves throughout the movie where he finally starts getting a snip of what might be going on um, later in the movie uh, and, I, and his character evolves because of it. But uh, I do like the, the genre of the heist too. So that when you have good acting with a, sure, a good script sure. and a good director, um, I think that makes the movie go well as, you know, uh, uh, for me to, 
to enjoy. But um, yeah, it's just uh, it's one of those movies where I I'd never heard of it. Um, I never saw it in the theater. I didn't see a lot of um, publicity for it. Um, mm-hmm. It did well considering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, and if it doesn't come on TV that much, it's not like one of those serial movies that come on on TBS or HBO right, all the right. time. So if if I catch it, it's very rare. And so it's always fun for me to to rewatch it because I do know what happens, of course. But I haven't seen it in such a long time that I don't forget. I forget about all the the subtle nuances that each character has, um, uh, their their shifty eyes or the way that they. They think everyone is a suspect, whether or not they are or not, whether or not that's what they're even trained to do. Um, right. But it's, right. It's, uh, it's just a fun, dynamic movie because every character, I think, plays uh, every made character and most minor characters play a, a decent role in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great good, cast. good and bad, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you just reminded me, Chris, of, of why I think some movies are, are almost more enjoyable the second time you see them mm-hmm. um, because if a movie is showing you like you know how the actual defining event takes place you get to watch you already know what happens but you get to see how it happens mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and a movie like casino for example starts off by telling you that oh all the casinos went bust. Like we 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 yeah. fucked it all up, by the way. And then we spend the next three hours watching how that happened, and uh, and that's interesting. And and actually, this movie begins with Clive Owen addressing the camera and offering the whole who, what, when, where, how, why of the film we're about to see. Yeah, and 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 the the snippets that we see of him actually revealing a great deal about very much. Yeah, the the conclusion of the film, but you don't know it watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, and um, it's it's a it's a great ensemble. Um, the only thing that I kind of am a little roll my eyesy about is like every everybody <laughs> in the film speaks such dialogue. Like like the dialogue is very dialoguey. Like. All the exchanges between Jodie sure. Foster and, and Denzel Washington are very kind of like terse and high, heavily scripted, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that serves its purpose. You know, if you, if you sort of get into the, the, the tension of it and the excitement of it, I, I tend to like movies to reflect my own bias of what is reality, what I perceive the real world to be like. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. So, like, if I'm if I'm watching Labyrinth, for example, you know, that's that's a whole other world. That's that's an, that's a world of the imagination. But if I'm watching a film about, yeah, if I'm watching <laughs> a film about, you know, about New York City, about people that that I want to relate to, um, I enjoy seeing a bit more of their humanness than their kind of than their like I don't know. Do you know what I mean by the dialogue, Andrew? Like, how, like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I, I mean. I think you it's, see their humanness. Um, you're right. The dialogue is a little stiff. Um, but I think that the humanness shows up when, and I don't think this is giving away anything, when the police storm the bank and you see the people coming out and they're all um, very emotional. They're covered in smoke, grease, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I think that's a decent part of where everyone's emotions come out. But you're right. I think the dialogue to me is a little stiff. It's a little theatrical. Um, but it's, I don't think it takes away from the movie at, at an overall point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that that as much as anything is, uh, 
it's almost a stylistic choice of Spike Lee's. Um, and granted, he didn't write the dialogue for this, as you say. This was uh, he had a screenwriter on this. Um, but st- uh, I think I feel like Spike Lee tends towards the um, the overstated dramatic encounter, <laughs> right? People say exactly like it's like uh, it's like the sort of improv game where you state exactly what it is that you want in the scene up top and then you know keep repeating that that line you know that's kind of uh it's 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 sort of how they they interact and of course he's got actors who are very good at kind of uh playing that and not making it unbelievable i mean denzel washington's fantastic at playing uh Mm -hmm. what in another actor's mouth might sound like absurd ludicrous dialogue and he can play it and make it totally believable yeah he's 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 amazing at that (laughs) and and so i think that uh yeah the the dialogue is a little stilted and i it's one of those things that i've I've come to expect from um hollywood film in general Right. i was gonna say it's not just spike Um, lee but certainly a lot of of sort of working man's directors who who get hired to adapt a hot screenplay that was you know penned by somebody else in some other world and then brought to their desk but um the other thing that that spike lee does and i think he does this in every one of his films are you talking about the you know what i'm talking the do- about the dolly yeah, yeah. The, i was and, gonna and, ask you that yeah yeah the, yeah the dolly shot where where the main character rides the dolly and it just kind of you know travels we see the the person. It's usually like a medium shot. We see uh, the person's upper torso and head, and they they're they're completely still, but they are floating through space. And we see the background moving behind them, and and it's usually a brief shot. And sometimes, I think, especially in Spike Lee's early films, which are a little bit more expressionistic, especially do the right thing, it mm-hmm. it works well, and it's become Spike Lee's trademark. And therefore, yeah. he feels the need to put it in every single one of his films. And in this film, it's like one of the only expressionistic flourishes in the whole story. And it it, it feels very out of place. It does. I think, and it's in this film. It comes at a tense moment when Denzel Washington should be running towards the camera, but instead he's just kind of sit, sitting angrily. Uh, you know, like he reminds me of the way my cat looks when when it wants to be fed and it's not six o'clock yet and it's just kind of sitting there on the cushion, and then so he's no he's motionless and yet floating through space while there's people running around and it's like I've read other other people on the internet talk about that shot as being a distraction and being out of place, and yet you know it's I feel like it's in every Spike Lee film that there ever was. It is, and and in some of them it works really well. For instance, in in Twenty Fifth Hour, uh, there's there's a moment uh, in that film when Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's playing a a, a middle aged teacher, um, has a an encounter in the bathroom of this club with one of his students, played by Anna Paquin, um, where he makes advances on her, and then is rebuffed and then he exits the bathroom and he's sort of like moving through the hall of this club and it's that dolly shot and it's this wonderful kind of isolating thing where of course philip seymour hoffman looks crestfallen but also disgusted with himself and like all of these emotions all at once and it's this kind of wonderful study where you're reading his face and you're 
in the context of, of what had just happened, it it feels like he should feel like this isolated loner. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it's like it, it's a wonder does a wonderful job of reinforcing the mental state of the character that we're looking at. Uh, whereas in this film, it, it, it it's to me, it seems distracting because uh, as you say, there's almost no other stylistic flourishes in the entire film. Not really. And, and it doesn't, it, it comes, feel... it comes at a weird time too. Yeah, like like the, 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 that kind of a slow dolly shot. It does well in these melancholy reflective sometimes self-hating moments like you mentioned Andrew yeah, yeah. Uh, where where there is something more reflective or con- contemplative going on but this is a scene that demands uh, a rousing call to action you know like Denzel Washington he's got to get up and he's got to he's got to book it and he's got to get to work and that one shot it just it just causes causes you to scratch your head it really <laughs> does but um but yeah, but I mean, and and Chris, you know, Chris observed it as well, and it, it's did it stand out to you when you were watching it for the first time? Do you remember me, me immediately? I didn't. I was about to ask you before you brought it up, before you broached the subject about what did it even mean. I did not know that was one of his flourishes for what he does in every movie. <laughs> but it just seemed like such a, a weird thing to put in this movie because it didn't make any sense for anyone involved. It didn't even make sense emotionally. It didn't make sense in the plot. It was very weird. Mm. Well, and, and I think that the very interesting thing to me about this as someone who's seen a, a great number of Spike Lee's films and seen how stylistically interesting that he can get. I mean, we, we even talked about Chirac, his most uh, recent film uh, on this podcast. And his he that's, that's a film that's all style, man. I mean, it's pure style. And for him, for, for this film to be so lacking in his style in almost every other way, except for in the engagement with the characters, the, mm-hmm. the, the performances of the actors, like those all feel very Spike Lee to me. Those all feel like he's the man directing it, but it doesn't feel like if I, you know, uh, you know, they talk about the sort of auteur theory. Um, and oftentimes people will say, you know, uh, a great director, you can freeze frame the movie. And f- just from the, composition of the frame or the look of the film you'd be able to tell who made that film yeah well in this film i don't feel like outside of that one shot there's any moment that you could freeze frame it and say that's a spike lee film and you wouldn't actually freeze and, frame the shot because then you couldn't tell that it was moving well <laughs> hey hey waka waka um but uh yeah so i feel like it's 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 interesting because it it almost feels like he's kind of desperately trying to sneak in yeah. a, a, a signature <laughs> oh, into the film, like yes. trying to like squeeze it into the corner of the painting. John like, Woo's doves. Initials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does, it does seem desperate. I hate to say it, but, but really there are so many other ways he could have used it. He could have used it when Jodie Foster's character confronts Christopher Plummer at the, in the, the barbershop. He could have used it where Clive Owen is moving in and out of the hallways of the bank. Uh, he could have used it, any number of times. When but Denzel think, leaves Christopher Plummer's office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think there's a couple sort of uh, different perspectives, though, that Spike Lee adopts in this film that I really did like. Uh, he, he, he makes good use of these extreme um, 
bird's eye view compositions and then the inverse yeah, of that, yeah, like yeah. looking up into the, the ceiling of a building as, you know, as Denzel Washington is, is rounding the spiral staircase going around and around and coming down. Uh, and then there's some really good perspectives of, of the actual street where the bank is like, like from very high at the top of the building. Mm-hmm. So he does have style. Um, and I think maybe he needn't be too concerned about working in that same dolly shot every single time. I don't know if he thinks that if he stops doing it, it means he will have, you know, given up or that his, his critics will have won. Uh, his car will turn into a pumpkin. Yeah, but but he's got he's got a good visual sense. It's not just about the dialogue with Spike Lee. It's not just about the performances. Oh, but there's also a lot yeah. of style. And and I actually I have to confess I have not seen the Twenty Fifth Hour. Um, but I it's it's on my list. It's in the queue. Uh, oh, <laughs> a movie that I want to watch. And it seems like it would be. It, it looks like it's one of his very best. Also, from what I hear, it's extraordinary. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, I mean, like all, all of that, I mean, it, it seems like we've harped on this for a while. Um, but I don't think that it detracts from the film as a whole. I don't think that it like punctures the balloon that is this film. No, you know? no, no. Um, I mean, the moment that shot is over, you almost forget about it cause you're so wrapped up in the action. You're so wrapped up in the sort of flow of the story. You do, and it continues. The action actually just doesn't skip a beat Yeah. after it skips a beat <laughs> and, it, and it goes into, you know, a big terse conversation between Clive Owen and Denzel Washington. So yeah, yeah, it's like you yeah. can forget about that stupid five seconds of floating time. <laughs> yeah. And can I just say how much I love Clive Owen? I just love Clive Owen. He's fine. <laughs> you, you may say that. I, I do. I, I, I've been desperately wanting to watch the Nick, which is that oh, showtime yeah. show that I have not watched any of, but, or maybe not show Cinemax. It's on, I think it's on Cinemax. Um, anyway, he's, uh, he's great and he's great in this. Denzel Washington's great in this. Um, it, 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 performances, in fact, I think all around are, yep. are pretty solid. Definitely. Um, Jodie Foster's great, especially, um, she is Christopher Plummer's great. Yeah. He's good. Too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and she would tell Edgy for, he's really good in this. That's, this is one of the first yeah. times I've seen him in a movie. Um, because mm-hmm. what was this? 10 years ago? 19 yeah. or 2006. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So I'd not seen him in, you know, a movie a big movie since you know or before this and so now he's getting all these great roles and now you can trace back see him in a little bit more of a minor role and where he's, he's come from yeah he's got a decent new york accent i mean it, he's yeah, actually, he it's does. actually pretty, yeah. the the sort of english accent only creeps in every now and again it's actually pretty impressive it does creep in a bit a little but it's, it's weird it's when okay. he starts offering people tea and finger sandwiches so <laughs> that's where i kind of knew yeah yeah in this film, it also has, you know, pizza plays a pivotal role to the story, too. So another quintessential New York aspect. Oh, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I Actually, it was a lot of fun watching this again because I think the first time I saw it, I had just moved to New York or, you know, I, I, I moved here in, in 07. And uh, so I, and I hadn't seen this movie in the theaters so I saw it and I hadn't been here t- for too terribly long. So watching it again after having lived here for, you know, almost a decade, uh, it, it, it was, it was fun. Uh, cause it does feel very New York in a lot of ways. Right, right, right. Um, and, uh, it, it's fun to sort of have that perspective now. Mm-hmm. So that is our podcast on 
Inside Man, Spike Lee's film from 2006. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think that it's worth watching. Um, although I will return to my original comment that uh, repeat viewing was a little bit less enthralling for me because I knew what was going to happen. Um, and I don't think, and I think because of what we talked about, basically Spike Lee uh, being more concerned with the characters in his film than he is with the mechanics of it, it that those mechanics being flat made it a more interesting watch the second time around just for the characters, but less interesting for the execution of the heist. There you go. Uh, parse <laughs> through that, listeners. Um, this this was my first time watching Inside Man, um, and I, I liked it. I thought I I was surprised, although I, I have to confess there was one aspect of Christopher Plummer's character that I already knew about. It was spoiled for me by something else that I witnessed. Um, uh-huh. But ultimately, uh, it was a fun ride and unexpected and good all around, good performances, well directed by Spike Lee. So I think, yeah, I, I, I recommend it as, as well. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, there it is. And Chris, thanks for coming on the show again. Thanks for recommending this film. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it was uh, it was super fun to talk about it, and uh, and we still got a couple of uh, recommendations out there pending for you, so we'll get on those. Great! After Angry Birds, uh, it's uh, it's a wide open field. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to this podcast, everybody. Uh, please tune in next time when we will be talking about the new film Maggie's Plan. Uh, it's uh, it's a very small independent film um that uh is something that is nice for us to do in this sort of summer of gigantic blockbusters so uh we hope that you will tune in for that and we will catch you next time 